Hello, folks. This is Princess. You are listening to the Millennial Mustard Seed Podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share with your friends. It's tough. We're in a very tough spot. I think that what we're doing right now is of great benefit and virtue because it's an end around between this whole corrupt informational system, media system. We claim to believe in a God who spoke the universe into existence and literally raised himself from the dead. And yet we're not going to believe that anything else exists in the spirit realm, even though his word tells us that they do. Their bodies weren't permitted to go to sleep like humans do, and they weren't permitted to go to heaven. So they wander the earth. You know, I've seen the eyes turn black to unknown tongues being spoken. These giants would live way up in the highland. The young graves, the young men would hide up in the trees and wait for one of these 12 footers to come walking down the path and they would jump on them and kill them, drag them back to the village and the village would feast on the body. Then people start to get weapons, they start to get armor, they start to build cities, they start to fortify their cities. Now, God looks down and there's violence everywhere. The battle, this war that we are at, is not against each other. It's against these principalities and these rulers and these archons in the high places. It's really worthwhile to read the Bible yourself. Fear is one of the primary drivers of mind control because we have to take every thought captive and resist fear. You're going to have a testimony that is a justice case against the kingdom of darkness. Welcome back to the Millennial Mustard Seed. I am your host, Rod, and thank you for being here with me again for another episode. I have author and pastor from Texas, Paul Fowler here. He wrote quite an interesting book called Thrones of the Watchers. We have a pretty neat conversation just regarding this whole Nephilim overview, what the Bible says about it, what he wrote in this book in order to help people digest these topics that are in the Bible that really are manifesting before our eyes that we need to be more aware of, especially for the days ahead. You know, here on this podcast for the last five years, I've covered this information. I've asked questions. I've relentlessly pursued the truth because I know what I read in God's word. I know what God spoke to me years ago. And so I stay on the tight and narrow and the difficult path. It has not been an easy season for me recently coming into 2024, but I'm still here. I'm not defeated. And I have plenty more to come. God willing, in his timing, I'll get those episodes out to you guys. Don't forget to subscribe, to share the podcast, word of mouth, write me a written review on Apple Podcasts, leave me five stars on Spotify. That's how you guys help this podcast grow. And the links in the details of the show notes help us in our time of need. If you believe in what I'm doing here on this podcast ministry, come partner with me. For everybody who sent us emails, I'm trying to get back to all you guys. I appreciate all the love and the support. 
and we plan on growing and becoming everything God is calling us to be. I'm dying to the identity of what I want this podcast to be, this ministry, and I'm open to the idea of what God wants to do with it. Because that's the only way to do it the right way, in my opinion. But for right now, I'm excited to jump into this episode with Paul, Thrones of the Watchers. I'm ready. You guys ready? Let's go. Let's go. Hi, this is Paul Fowler. I am a pastor from Texas, and I am the author of a book called Thrones of the Watchers. Welcome to the Millennial Mustard Seed Podcast. Paul, it is an honor to be with you, bro. I'm glad we got connected through PJC Media. Wow, thank you so much. Uh, hats off to Parker. She's she's great. What I want to do is just kind of give you some room to lay a foundation. And you wrote a pretty interesting book. I have not had time to read it yet, but I already have an idea what's going on. We talked on the phone off air. I'm like, yep, this is good. We This is the kind of content that needs to be reintroduced to the church. So just give us a 30,000 foot overview of who you are and kind of how you became the Paul sure. you are today. I, uh, I grew up in a military home. My dad was an army officer. And so I did move around a lot early and books were uh, just a refuge for me. So, um, and my parents were real supportive of me reading. So that was, that was a really good thing. Um, eventually felt the call to ministry, became a pastor, was a profound pagan for several years before I had a real serious conversion in, in my college years, even though I was raised in a Christian home. Uh, but I did really stray for, for quite a while. Um, and eventually felt the call to preach and love, um, that the Bible narrative is, is more, you know, for lack of a better word, masculine and aggressive, uh, than I expected, you know, from my childhood experiences. And so, uh, in particular, Genesis uh, chapters three and chapter six uh, caught my imagination. And from there, I began to realize that there's a lot going on in, in a few verses and they deserve to be explored uh, a little bit more. So instead of writing what I kind of jokingly call, but it's, it's not a joke, pastoral self-help books, um, I decided, you know, we don't need another book on theology. I think I'm going to write a fictional story and trying to get into what, what was the world like that's being described in Genesis three through six, what we call the pre-flood world maybe, or the antediluvian world, if you want to use a really big word. And the more I researched it, the stranger it got. And the more I realized the early church relied on this story as a big part of their worldview. And so the deeper I got into it, the more, interesting it got. And I decided there's no need to try to make this any stranger, you know, from a, from a story standpoint, it's as strange as you can get right in the Jewish histories and in the Bible itself. So, um, I started the journey writing, um, this book. It's, it is literally what was Adam and his family doing at this certain stage in history. And when you, you dive into the story, you realize we've got fallen angels. We've got good angels. We've got humans trying to survive in an environment where fallen angels have taken wives. They bred children. 
they've bioengineered monsters and super soldiers and it's violence and bloodshed. And somehow God's got a gr- group of people that survive all of this. And so the template for a great story was there. And, uh, I released the, the first installment in 2020 during COVID. And I'm just not too far away from, from getting the follow-up out and the follow-up will be called bloodlines. And, um, and there'll be a third one as well, which I've kind of already gotten a lot of that one in the can. So, so that's sort of the, the big picture to, to get here. Um, a lot of things that I was fortunate to do as a, as a young person and later kind of get folded into, into the book. I, I did wrestling and fencing, uh, which is sword fighting in Texas. Fencing is putting up fences, but in some places fencing is sword fighting. Um, I taught archery <laughs> at Boy Scout camp and, uh, and I grew up in a hunting family. So there's just a lot of elements that were just sort of part of my life that were real easy to, to marry with theology and some of the biblical truths and, and hopefully write a compelling story that stands on its own as just a good adventure story, but also starts introducing, you know, Jesus says in, in Matthew 24 and in Luke 17, when he returns, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. And so there are some things about the days of Noah that only our generation can say are happening. And that's a pretty profound thought. It doesn't get discussed a lot in eschatology. Uh, but I think there's some really important clues there that we need to get our heads around and be prepared to have some conversations about some strange topics, but they're right in our lap and our life experience right now. And it's going to even, you know, it's going to continue to speed up and grow. Oh, geez. I yeah. don't know if you cut out or if you had stopped talking. Sorry about that. No, no, I stopped talking for a second. I needed to breathe. Okay. <laughs> Just kind of out the gate, man, you know, being a pastor and digesting this kind of content. And I really like how you said it's like a self-help book for pastors in a sense, you know, just add a little bit of humor to it because really the Bible is, is there for our, teaching or edification, our doctrine, right? And so pulling these threads out is really important for the masculine heart, especially because I believe masculinity is coming back into the church, the ecclesia, right? The women held it down for a long time in many ways across the broad spectrum. And now we kind of see men getting re-familiar with these ideas and that there's a battle to fight, a beauty to save, right? That we're called to a higher calling in Jesus Christ. And it, it actually becomes a story that we get captured up into. Really, my question is, how did, how did your congregation handle this? Were you guys kind of always in that space and it just kind of morphed into you wrote a book about it? Or did you have to introduce this concept? I think, you know, depending upon what your church experience is, like I've kind of lived in both worlds. I grew up in a liturgical setting and the church I pastor is a non-denominational, you know, type church. So, uh, we live in a very traditional town. And so even to be, you know, what the church would call a charismatic church in the backdrop of lots of traditional churches already sort of puts you in a different category. But, you know, I find this topic's even bigger than, than sort of those labels and, and, and groupings. Um, you know, as a pastor, we got to preach the whole council. We got, we got to, we have to be balanced. So I can't spend all my time here with my church body. That's not, you know, that wouldn't be a healthy diet, but, um, my church bodies, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty open. Um, and 
when a, when addressing this, you really, if you can't explain the theological significance of it, then you sort of need to regroup and work on that aspect of the message. So, you know, you're introducing the weird, but you have to, you have to connect the dots to this is what's going on in your world and it's not going away. You know, what we might think of as, as, uh, I've noticed the word seems to be changing lately, but transhumanism was the word for a while. And they seem to be realizing that word is, is starting to get a bad connotation. So what I'm seeing now is human engineering. That's a new, a new phrase that I seem to have heard in the last you know few months. So we're going to be facing topics, you know, facing moral issues, dilemmas, questions about what does it mean to be human? And so there's a relevance there that transcends the weirdness of the topic. Um, you just have to hit it sort of sparingly and, um, and, and repeat it. And that's kind of true of anything. Um, you know, as a pastor, it's like, well, I'm going to preach a sermon on forgiveness. Well, you're probably going to preach a sermon on forgiveness frequently. You know, it may not be the exact same sermon, but there's themes yeah, you're yeah. going to revisit because they're essential. And so yes. this is an essential theme. So we revisit it. Um, we've done some seminar type stuff where we could dive deeper. And, and it's a little better absorbed in that. And we'll probably do another one soon. Cause the last time we did one, we had all sorts of people that don't go to our church show up. So as you know, this, this topic is not slowing down. You know, we might've thought this is going to run its course and, and this topic's not going away. The, the Genesis six, you know, implications, um, what does it mean to be human? Uh, where is the line that you cross where, you're not human anymore. And what does that mean? And uh, Christ died to save humanity. But what if you allow yourself to be engineered into something else? What are the implications of that? Um, and I think one of the mistakes we can make is we can reflexively think, oh, this human engineering stuff is going to be all bad. We need to just completely avoid it. And actually, I think there'll be some great things that come out of it that are beneficial but I also know evil people and wicked people and opportunistic people are going to use this to do some really vile, ungodly things. And they already are. So we need to have the conversation where, you know, as a church, my people are, this is not a new topic for them. If they hear this come up in the news or their kids are wrestling with some, you know, medical decisions or some treatment decisions, um, we need to understand these themes because they're not going away. And the, the, the powers that be the deep pocket people that influence how our world operates, they are all behind this human engineering stuff. And it's pretty scary what they envision uh, for humanity. And if the church won't step up and say, uh, we're drawing a line in the sand and not just no, but hell no. Um, we're going to see our people, you know, fall, fall victim to, some things I don't think God ever intended for us to be playing with. Um, but there'll be a tremendous temptation and pressure to do so. And if we're not ready for that, then, you know, we're not the shepherds and watchmen that we need to be. So there's a, there's an imperative to discuss these things. Uh, you have to do your homework and you have to revisit it carefully, but it's, it's thematically something we have to be talking about for sure. Very well said, man. And that is such a good overview. I mean, I, from my position on it, everything you just said is what a man of God would say in this situation. 
Like we have to prepare people. We don't have to park and live in this weird fringe space 24 seven. That's not the goal. I mean, what I do over here is a little bit more fringe than not just because there's such a lack of churches doing it. Oh, sure. But once we start to level out, I really feel like this ministry can actually start to meet needs in other places, but we see such a deficit of this information because one of the cool things, like everybody knows Dr. Michael Heiser now, the late Dr. Michael Heiser. And it's like, that foundation that he laid was really reintroducing the idea of the first, you know, or the ancient Jewish mindset, you know, like they were, when they were writing this stuff under the influence and the power of the Holy spirit, they were already aware of, you know, chimeras and they're quoting books that aren't quote unquote by religious people acceptable to, read you know like the book of enoch or yeah right like we we see this kind of stuff how it does web and weave together and what you said man is important because what it does is it gives people the freedom to actually enter into what god is in my opinion hoping we're aware of so that the deception is lessened for the masses right right yeah i mean he says jesus told his followers you need to be wise as serpents you know, which is, that's provocative. You know, he's like, yeah, you need to think like the serpent, you know, like, well, who's, who's the first serpent we think of in a biblical context? Uh, you know, he says, your, your enemy's wise. You need to be wise about him and his ways. And, uh, it, it is such a, I, you know, one of the frustrations I found that sort of forced me into deep research was as I, as I looked at this, the answers, even in textual books were so weak that if it forced me to dig deeper and I was amazed to, you know, really kind of coming to the conclusion because I grew up Lutheran. So I, I, I value the reformation. I, I value that departure from what the, the, the flaws of, of Catholicism that, that were common in his day. And, but realizing so many of our commentaries on some of these topics are, are 500 years old. They've not moved on conceptually. And while we argue that context and history is important in interpreting, there are a couple of taboo topics like this one that we just don't like. We really just kind of don't dig too deep into them. And it's like, well, we say we appreciate history and context and it's important, but, but wow, when you get into the context, the worldview of the early church, there's a, there's things about the new Testament that start to make a lot more sense. And, you know, Without the context, the circular arguments about things that, you know, like who is Melchizedek and, you know, can angels actually have sex with, with women and produce children? Some of these circular things were, were actually well-traveled ground and talked about and understood in a historical context. And, you know, someone might say, well, that's not scripture, but, you know, context helps us interpret scripture. Um, but this is a taboo topic. And one of the reasons why I think Genesis six is sort of a taboo topic is two reasons. It involves the supernatural, which the modern church has a hard time understanding or dealing with. And secondly, it involves sex. I mean, right out in the middle of the, of the narrative, uh, there's this big sexual component to the conversation. And so that's not polite Sunday morning stuff. Um, so there's already, you know, some sort yeah. some holdbacks wow. that are already kind of baked yeah. into this, but it's like, yeah, this is, this is the truth with some serious implications. So uh, we, we have to wait into it, whether it makes us uncomfortable or not. Yeah. Very well said, man. Um, 
Wow. So let's dive into the book here a little bit in the sense of like, tell me what really stirred it up in you to want to write the book, right? And start this series. Okay. Uh, it, it's, I must start with sort of a funny story. I've got a guy in my church. He's one of my, he's one of my fill in, you know, preachers, really solid preacher, good theology. You know, he's really gifted young man. And, and a few years ago we were talking about a sermon series I was doing and I said, you know, maybe I could write a book about this series. And he kind of, he, he, yeah, I could see in his face, there was no excitement for it. And it's kind of like, yeah, there's a lot of books out there on this topic. And I, I have an old preacher friend that says, if I can talk you out of something, it's not God's will. <laughs> and so <laughs> at, at, at that point, he talked me out of, of, of you know, pastoral self-help or, you know, what we think of as, I mean, some of the worst, and then they're not all bad in fairness. You know, a lot of pastors don't, they're not writers. They preach a sermon series, which is a really good sermon series, and they hand their notes to a ghostwriter. And the ghostwriter makes chapters out of each sermon and ties a book together. And it's that person's material, and I get it. That's how some books are written, and some of them are really good. But a lot of them are just, you know, they're just, you know, it's just another product. It, it's, you know, and and there's some good ones, and there's some not good ones. And so, you know, kind of having him take the wind out of my sails about writing something that is the standard pastor book that you're supposed to do, you know, when you're, you know, in my kind of setting. Um, I, I don't know when it hit me, but as I was diving into this stuff, I just thought, wow, this would make a great adventure story. And maybe there's some people out there that need, they need the, they need the fiction, you know, to, to get the spiritual truths. And, you know, some of the great examples, you know, would be obviously C.S. Lewis and, J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, they, they were spiritual men, they were kingdom men, and they were trying to introduce a worldview and eternal truth through story. And so I was kind of jotting with some, you know, sort of just jotting some ideas around to make a story. And the first story I'd, I really wanted to write, I have not written. Um, I, I wanted to write Adam explaining what happened when the world fell. And I'll write that book eventually. But I started jotting some short stories down just about what was, what was Adam's world like, you know, um, before he maybe gets to the point where he fully explains, all right, kids, this is how your mom and I, you know, broke the universe. The, they were real people. The Bible, you know, in a very audacious fashion, just introduces them as real people with real wives, with real lifespans, very specific about, when they, when they're born, when they die in relationship to when Adam's created. Uh, and they have this very detailed timeline of events and it presents them to you as people. You know, some people, you know, may say, well, they're, they're metaphors or maybe they're, you know, there's some symbolism going on and, you know, that's whatever we're, you know, we can interpret and make those arguments. But, but on a basic level, the Bible just says this is who these people were. This is who their children were. This is the time period they lived in. Here's just a handful of details about what's going on in their world. And then when you begin to dig into the broader context, um, things like the book of Enoch, as you mentioned, or Jubilees or Jasher or Seder Alam, there's just, there's quite a few books that were, that were normal reading or discussion points uh, for believers at that point. And, 
that was a, that's just a strange world. And so I thought, you know what, I'll get to the Adam book later, but this is sort of shaping up into, you know, like a classic adventure story that, you know, follows a, a template people would be familiar with and, and try to get into these people's minds that they, they lived in a horrible world. And it's a world Jesus says is going to be echoed again before he comes back. And so there's certainly some things for us to learn uh, out of it. So I don't think I would have finished a regular pastoral, you know, kind of info book. Um, this has been good for me on a personal level, just on my soul, just to just to do something, you know, different and, and creative. So uh, my hope is, you know, we wanted to, and I got this little team of people that helps me and, you know, God bless them because that I wouldn't have finished this without, you know, some help. Um, we've got some stories to tell and we've got, we've got some truths that we need to, to present in a way that can make people think. And these people, the Bible presents them as people that they face these challenges and somehow their faith still endured. And we're going to be facing similar challenges. You know, they lived in a world where there were bioengineered enemies and, and temptations um, from powerful interdimensional beings who offered them, you know, power and technology and things that would advance their life, but it came at a cost. And so, you know, every generation is dealing with, with these moral challenges, these good and evil questions, these, these temptations, but man, the world, my kids, you know, growing up in, I think you said you got a six year old, you know, they're going to have some wild decisions uh, in front of them in regards to what does it mean to be human? And at what point do we begin playing with, you know, our DNA? We begin playing with our humanity. Uh, at what point is it not just, you know, maybe corrective or helpful? At what point is it trying to find eternity outside of God, you know, becoming literally becoming something not human and we're right there. And the, 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 the movies, have been priming us for some of these things. And uh, we've just got an imperative for the next generation to say, you need to get your head around this because this is going to be some things that you're going to have to sort out. And uh, I think a great adventure story is, is one way to do it. And there's some great books out there. I know you've talked to some great authors that, you know, have explored it from the theological side. Um, but for me, this was the best way to approach uh, this kind of stuff. Um, because it is strange topics and it makes for great reading. But, you know, like when you realize the historical context for this is nothing in the book is a stretch as wild as he, as wild as it seems. Uh, that was a very strange world that they were living in. And we're, we're living in a very strange world now. Very well said. Yeah. It's a, it, really feel like this should be the standard. You know, it makes me wonder what do we do to reintroduce this into the larger picture? Like, like how do we just get to the point where all of these churches, right? We have these pockets all around the country, all around the world. How do we get people just back to that basic of like, you know what, this is exciting. This is truth. And, and yes, introducing, you know, a fiction book and, and painting pictures of this you know, battle to fight and, you know, chimeras and, you know, all these cool, like you know, creatures and stuff like that. But here's the thing. 
the oral tradition, storytelling is powerful. Right. It is so powerful. So what you're doing right. Well, yeah. One of the reasons just the storytelling aspect, yeah. but that is so powerful, man. Um, and, and so I want to just ask you a quick question and then just kind of keep riding that wavelength of, of thought, whatever you had, but have you had like men in your church, like come up and pull you aside and say like pastor, like this, this literally changed my life. Like, like I I'm all in. Have you had like, can you share one or two of those kind of experiences if you've had that happen with your own congregation or even people from outside of your congregation? I, I have had people say, I had no idea there was this much information about this time period. And I have had, I, I get more verbal responses, like if I'm at a conference or something, you know, so um, I, I uh, intro the book at a conference um, couple summers ago got a great response you know most of the books I had with me got sold the next year I did a similar you know and it was kind of like a TED talk setting you know you had 15 or 20 minutes and what I did different the second year you know it's one of these things like well that's incredibly simple I just played a two you know maybe 90 second clip from someone talking about human engineering transhumanism and let let the audience see in their own words what what the power brokers are saying about this topic and the disdain they have for humanity and how they're all in on this upgrading humanity you know into being something different and so i had pastors that you know bought the book that said that scared the hell out of me i i didn't know and so i've had some you know i've had some people with some it was some profound reactions to it. Um, surprisingly, I have had a lot of ladies like the book, even though it's very masculine, but the, 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 the two principal wives, the story revolves around the third son of Adam and Eve, um, whose name's Seth and who is named by Eve. And that's kind of unusual. If you understand Hebrew culture, that's even, that's a little bit unusual. She says, this is, this is appointed and it's in reference to, she lost two sons. Uh, Cain kills Abel and then Cain's exiled and he takes a wife from, from his, you know, from his sisters. So there's, there's three deaths essentially for Eve and Adam, you know, in a, in, in one incident's time, you've got this very costly, you know, human uh, event. And so she says this, this Seth is appointed. He's, been given me to replace, you know, those, uh, that were taken from me. And this is how the Lord's being kind to me. And so Eve is, uh, Adam and Eve are 630 years old, um, when this story is taking place. And so they've raised generations of kids. Seth is married to Ahava and, and even Ahava kind of form the, 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 the feminine, you know, experience or voice, uh, and they anchor the story because I because they're they're very strong women in their own right, and they're they're married to these very commanding, capable men, and so you know I wanted to be able to celebrate. You know, we can have masculinity and very strong femininity at the same time. It's not impossible. The world says, you know, in order to advance feminism, we have to destroy men, and biblically, you know, we need to 
you know, baptize our, our brains that no, we can, we can both be strong and actually make each other stronger. Um, so I've su- surprisingly had, you know, I've got men that have liked it, but I've also had a lot of ladies that have liked it because, you know, Eve and Ahav are, are, are very powerful characters in their own right and, and anchor the family, uh, and then, and their little nation, uh, with such effectiveness. Um, you know, I've been, I've been pleased because I did write this largely for men. You know, this is the adventure story I wanted or, or would have wanted to read, you know, when I was younger. Um, but I've been pleased on both ends. I've had positive response about the truths and about the issues. Um, but I've had some positive response too, just in how we're looking at family. You know, this, this family survived in an insane environment and kept the faith somehow. So there's some, there's some fun things to explore, uh, from that standpoint. And I think, you know, the older you do this ride on this planet, this imperfect place, uh, we have regrets, you know, we have things that we wish had gone different. We have mistakes that we've made and Adam and Eve have, you know, the only people that experience perfection and imperfection. And so to me, they're very fascinating and you know, if, if you've wrestled with regrets, there's some things to learn from Adam and Eve because they've, they've had regrets in spades. You know, they've, they've, they fell from a great place and somehow kept going. And, um, I was fascinated by the fact that as I delved into the histories of the Jewish histories and, and things, you know, in, in, in the Protestant world, Adam and Eve are, are a joke. They're, 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 you know, they're the, they're the butt of the joke. In the Jewish histories, Adam is revered. Eve is revered. They were kind of larger than life figures. Um, I know that, I think it's, I can't remember which, which of the books in particular. I know you've read, you know, some of them. Oh, yeah. But the history records when Adam died, the world mourned him. The kings of the world, you know, took notice of the fact that, you know, Adam's gone. He was, he was revered and wise and powerful. Um, and so there's just some things that, in our context of the New Testament that we so love, there's some deeper things that if we just look a little bit, we'll find some really fascinating things and encouraging things. So, um, so yeah, it's been, it's been fun to get to see the book go out and to see people, you know, click on certain aspects of it. It's been very rewarding. Yeah. There's so many powerful highlights there. I really love how you, you know, lifted up the fact that, you know, the feminine heart is so important and and lifting that up. Like there's powerful men right in the Bible and there's powerful men in the making and that have been established already today, but Mm -hmm. you don't have to deplete masculinity in order to increase um, the feminine role. I thought that was super significant just because of the attack on masculinity today. And really the nuggets you're pulling out of the Bible and just the way that you're flowing and painting, you know, this, um, this picture for, for me in the audience here, it really makes me feel like, uh, I want to get recaptured back up into this great story again, even though I do this continually. So it's, it's very, right. um, very inviting and very, you know, compelling to just be like, yeah, this is, this is all that and everything else that's good, um, in one package. So you know, Paul, I want you to talk a little bit about, um, you know, with the days we're living in, 
and what you see going on in the world today, you know, give, give me kind of an overview of how do you compartmentalize the information in the sense of like, yeah, we're in the days of Noah right now. Again, you guys, I mean, and we know transhumanism, right. But just give us like zoom out a little bit to the macrocosm and give me a couple things that you're like watching and like, Hey, look out for this. This lines up with some prophetic things and you know, right. Strange stuff going on. I I think, you know, uh, every generation's, you know, experiencing some sort of pendulum swing and, and, uh, Nothing stays the same, you know. The the cultural pressures right now, you know, in my mind, you know, there, there was a point where I realized that evil is in the gears of the world in a deeper, more profound way than than I thought, and kind of becoming a new Christian in the '90s, you know, spiritual warfare was a big topic, and so. You know, I thought I sort of had a head, my head around how the enemy works and, you know, the, the, the biblical truths. And as I read Genesis, you know, six and started diving into it a little bit deeper, it really was sort of a straw that broke the camel's back that, that really, it deeply changed my worldview because in that world, if, if you, you read the Genesis six story and it's easy to just look at the sex aspect of it. Um, and how weird that is and argue, is that what they really mean or not? And, um, and the reality is, is lust is really not the biggest part of that story. Uh, the, the desire for power, um, the desire to play God, the desire to take down the next guy, because you've got a little bit of, um, you got a little bit of, of appeal to human ambition and you've got the basic the basic deal with the devil kind of dynamic going on when you, when you dig into the story and you find out the fallen angels, you know, the, the early church says they've got specific names. Uh, they're called the watchers and they were kind of a specific group of angels that seemingly were assigned to watch over humanity and maybe even help uh, serve them and, and help them. Uh, Adam's relationship with God has, has changed. His access to God has changed. And so this group of, of angels seemingly is, is assigned to the earth in some helping role. And well, they go rogue and they decide we, we want to take wives, but beyond that and spawning these, you know, monsters that were never supposed to exist, these Nephilim, the, the giants, uh, that was just the starting point for them. They wanted to go further. They wanted to dive even deeper and their rebellion to God you know, begins to work itself out in, well, we can be creators too. We can, we can kind of fashion the world in the way that we would like for it to be. So the historical records say they begin to experiment and they begin to take humanity. They begin to take animals. They begin to take their own supercharged DNA and start mixing everything together. And so that verse in Genesis six, where it says all flesh was corrupted after itself and this is one of the reasons for the the prelude to the flood. The uh, they're playing God and they're defying God, and so beyond that part of it, they begin making deals with humanity. And so we've got this world before the flood, and there's basically an arms race going on. And the Watchers are exchanging their advanced knowledge 
to humanity in exchange for blood, in exchange for children, in exchange for, for virgins, uh, and in a horrible, you know, exchange right out of a horror movie or, uh, there's a really bad movie a few years ago where Mars needs women. Uh, so aliens were coming to the earth to take women. Yeah, there's these, <laughs> these strange, you know, things that are relegated to, to, to some strange stories. But uh, at the heart of it all, there's this, you know, there's this human ambition that's giving place to the demonic in our world. And I just began to realize, I don't think this has changed. It's, it's, it's operating a little differently it's, it's not working itself out exactly like that, but the realization that that evil wants to systematize itself. It wants to work itself into all the gears of governance in the world. And they're doing a pretty good job of it. And so for, for me, there was, there was a worldview change. I thought I kind of understood how evil worked, but I began to realize, no, I think it's in the gears of how the world works even deeper than I thought. And as we moved into the, the COVID realm, you know, uh, you began to see a lot of this stuff play out right in front of your eyes. So some of the things I thought, yeah, there's implications of the story. I need to write the story. Um, but the concerns came down the pike so much faster than I expected. Um, they're right. They're right in our world right now. And so, um, what does it mean to be human is, is even more urgent than, than I expected it to be. I, I thought some of this thing might be on a slightly slower pace, but the pace has picked up. And so, you know, the, the pre-flood world faced this temptation, you know, if, if, if I deal with darkness, they'll give me something that I can use to beat the next guy. And that human ambition's not changed. And I, I think those deals are still being made, not in the exact same fashion, but uh, that's the base part of the problem. So uh, it's, it's, there's the evil aspect of it, but then there's also, there's the humanity aspect of it. And, you know, we haven't evolved. We haven't gotten better. We're still sinful. We're still imperfect. Uh, and there's going to be a segment of our world that is, is going to be willing to play ball with these evil forces, these evil, you know, intelligences and evil setting itself up, you know, to return to the world stage in a more direct fashion is, you know, we're, we're seeing some elements of it playing out right in front of us. So I don't, you know, as a, as a pastor, it's, you know, without some context to some of these things, it's a lot to take in on the first blush, but I just tell people, look, you have to look some of this up for yourself. I mean, 10 years ago, before I even got into the Watcher stuff, if you just go to the UN website, you realize the people that want to run the world are scary people. That They don't look at the world the way that we do. They don't look at your family the way that, that we do. They, you know, if it was left up to them, they would run the world in a cruel and grotesque fashion. And they haven't slowed down. It's only getting, you know, they're only doubling down on their efforts. And uh, they're going to deeply affect our kids if we don't wrap our heads around the concepts and understand there's lines in the sands that we can't go past. And so, uh, yeah, even researching this was a bit of a wake up. And as I'm sure you found looking at, at some of the topics in your, your history, as I, I, I listened to one of the shows to just get a feel for where you're coming from. Um, once you start questioning a narrative in one place, 
then you find that you kind of have to start questioning it in lots of other places too. So this topic just opens itself up to all sorts of other topics. Yeah. And you know, a lot of the driving force for this, this podcast ministry here was capturing the faith journey, but also having a safe place to dive into the weird, you know, like kind of having to, kind of having to create that safe place um, because I couldn't really find, find anything else that was already established. <laughs> and it's, it's growing and increasing. Right. And th- one of the hard things that I deal with and that I know people bring to me is like, man, it's like a full-time job trying to know what's true and what's not true. It, it is overwhelming. Yeah. It, it's a bit overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, a million messages, a million signals causing confusion and chaos. Right. 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 And yeah. yeah. That's it, why the, well, the word of God, that's why yeah. we, we can stand on the word, but yeah. the Berean mentality. So talk a little bit more, you know, on whatever wavelength you were going on, but I, the Berean mentality is what comes to mind. That's what I see you doing as I'm sitting here listening to you. It's like, well, I'm just diving into this unashamed and preparing my mind, right. And, and exploring the word of God right. with a readiness of mind. Right. I think, you know, you know, some of it comes with when you're sort of navigating what your theology is. And I, I know that sounds like an Oprah kind of subjective and I, I don't mean it that way, but the, the reality is, you know, good people who love the Bible, we, we end up in some differences of opinion over certain aspects of church life or, or theology. But th- this, you know, this topic is kind of one of the overriding ones, you know, like, good and evil, you know, let's just as basic as it gets. Um, and how do we, you know, how do we position ourselves to address some of the implications of this story? You know, if we're living in a time where they weren't talking about engineering humans or world leaders don't gather every year, you know, at expensive summits and talk about, you know, the, well, the best thing to do is for, you know, to humanity needs to allow us to bioengineer them for the next face of human, you know, existence, you know, who who gets to be in charge of that? Who gets to make those decisions? You know, I don't, I'm not so sure. I I want you guys to be the ones uh, experimenting on me about what you think is best. Uh, At some point, this stuff gets right down into real life. Some of this gets right down into, um, does the government have access to your children uh, outside of your will or, or, or authority? You know, is that the kind of world that we want to live in? Um, if a child says, I have a persuasion that's different, you know, from a norm, do they have the right to bypass their parents? And, and, you know, state of California says they do. Um, and so when you move these things forward, there's a, there's a point where people of faith will have no say so if we don't, if we don't resist now, if we don't get educated, we don't understand, we don't, um, see where this thing is going. Um, then we're failing as parents. We're failing as pastors and shepherds. Um, you know, when David is, is uh, becoming king, and it talks about, and I, I love the lists in the Bible because there's these, these little clues, you know, that are kind of profound. It, it says that, that he had 200 of the men of Issachar uh, that joined the army. I think it's 200. And it says they were men who understood the times. And, there's other tribes bringing lots more combat men to the table 
But these guys make the list, even though they're not the most numerous. They make the list because it says they understood what was going on. And David valued that. David's like, glad to have these guys here because they understand what's going on. Uh, and as we mentioned, Jesus said, you need to be as wise as serpent and innocent as doves. And he even says the, the, the sons of men have more understanding sometimes of, of, of things than, than the sons of light. So we need to, we need to know where, even though this, this starts on a weird note, these issues are going to get right into our families, going to get right into our world. Um, and the Bible speaks to these issues. That's what's amazing. Um, you know, well, what do we do in a world where we got ethical decisions about, you know, how much of playing with our, our, our DNA strand is good and, and what's not. You know, the Bible says, I've, I've already addressed this. You know, there's, there's, there is a point that's too far. Um, there is a point where this is not human anymore. And when things get corrupted to a certain point, God says, time to flush the toilet. You know, like he looked at the world and realized, yes, there was violence. Yes, there was disinterest. You know, yes, people were not seeking after God, but all flesh had been corrupted after itself. Well, that's a weird statement. But it preps us for the future. It preps us for the days when Jesus is coming back. We'll see these issues again. We will see people playing God, mixing things together that should never have been mixed together, and knowing God's not happy with this. You know, it's uh, it's sort of scary to think of what's going on in places that don't have some of the moral boundaries or guidelines that we, we'd like to think that we still have in, in our Western world. But I just, I just read something yesterday about, and this has popped up more than once, about the, the Chinese Communist uh, you know, Party engineering soldiers to have more upper body strength by you know, introducing DNA from animals. Uh, this stuff's going on. You know, we're, we're right here. And you know, that's not a world I want my kids to be in, but that's the world that they're growing up in. So we need to be able to have these conversations. And fortunately the word of God already clues us into some of these things. Um, so that's, that's, that's part of this, that, that, you know, as you said, it's almost a full-time job keeping up with what's going on in the world because our media is not telling us the truth about things. In fact, it's almost to the point where if the media says something on an important topic, it's probably exactly opposite of what they're saying. And, you know, we can laugh about it, but, you know, it's like, it's so true. true. It is so true. And that's upside down world. It is is such a strange place. So, you know, as, as people that are interested in top this topic, we've wrapped our head around it. And I think as, we get more instances of this becoming plain to the world or this being, you know, advanced in other countries. If it's not here yet, but we get the luxury of, okay, what are we, you know, how do, are we going to allow this? Are we going to let this happen here? Or, you know, are there some lines in the sand that we just can't cross and, and we have to resist. And as, as Christians, we need to be the ones that are part of saying, this is not good. You know, this is unacceptable. Um, and to be at the place where you can say, Hey, this is all been, this has all happened before we've already been warned. Uh, God's prepared us for this because he's given us some clues in the word. And 
but they're not easy clues. They, they have to be hunted and searched out and, and, uh, and, and, and dug for and mined. And, you know, they're, they're kind of treasures, but the reality is God's helped us. He's, he's prepped us for some of these things. Um, he was never happy with mixing species at a certain point in time. Well, God doesn't change. Guess what? He's not going to be happy with it when it happens again. So fortunately the, the word of God speaks to some of these things and, and we can have, I think there's some, even some comfort just in that and knowing, Hey, God says these things are going to be happening in the end times. Uh, and that's, that's okay. If, if he said it's going to be happening, he's prepared us for it. Like we've, we, we, we can be a, a step ahead of this kind of stuff, even though the world's got the money and the resources and the, the technology. Ultimately the meek are still going to inherit the earth. You know, we're, we're not going to be the ones who are, who are, are left alone. God says he's going to help us with all these things. So that's, that's part of, part of writing the story in the way that I did was, you know, there's a group of people that face these issues and they found a way to endure. And we got a bunch of strange issues coming down the pike and we'll find a way to endure because, because God's good. And, you know, no matter what this world throws at us, the world that we're looking forward to is an even better world. And it's worth, it's worth fighting for and sacrificing for. And it's, it's, our kids are worth this. Our kids are worth dealing with the uncomfortable topics, dealing with the topics people don't want to talk about necessarily until they're forced to. But the way human events seem to be going, the people that don't want to talk about this stuff are going to have to talk about it at some point anyway. Yeah. Wow. This is, this is a powerful episode because I mean, honestly, if I would have interviewed you five years ago, Paul, it would have been everything I needed to hear that took me like a couple years to puzzle piece a lot of this together. <laughs> I, I but, don't know who the, who the helpers were in your journey. I mean, Michael, well, dude, you know, was, was huge. God, what a loss that, that he's not with us anymore. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, just because like, I see the pastor's heart, right. And I see like how you're gently giving this information, but stirring up the importance of it at the same time. It's so balanced, right. I'm actually just really in love with this episode right now because it's speaking to that part of me. Like, you know, I I'm down the rabbit hole. I'm super fringe. Like I, have some really weird theories. I talk with fringe people, Paul, they're yep. fringe and, and they're like, okay, hold on, Rod. That was too much. Like, well, I, I was just thinking, I was like, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't preach that from a pulpit. That's just, right. this yeah. could connect. Right. So, but, but I'm looking through the lens of like, when I first started walking into this stuff with all of these questions, all of this frustration, just looking like, because I would read this stuff in the Bible and I'd have the nudging, but I would go to other men of God and get so frustrated and let down that they'd be like, oh no, well that's, it was always like they would blame shift the idea to being a negative thought process. So I'd bring them something and they would just kind of like scoot it out of the way and be like, oh no, don't worry about that. And, and it actually propelled me to go further, right? right? And to not let off the gas, but to hear what you're presenting, I just think like those people out there, cause we have new listeners here on the show. We have people that are coming in at all different levels of their walk and understanding some stuff terrifies people. I've gotten messages with people saying I couldn't sleep for two days. Like what the heck, <laughs> you know, you messed no, me up. And yeah. the other people are like, okay, well, I did learn one thing and I think you should look into this next. You know, like I see people at all different ranges. Yeah. I, I think that's, you know, we're, we're called sheep for a reason and it's, 
it's not a compliment. You know, I, my family raised sheep and goats in West Texas, you know, my, my, my uncles, um, when Jesus calls a sheep, it's really, it's really not a compliment. <laughs> you know, it's, we, we, <laughs> we overload, you know, sheep yeah. are famous for overloading with stimuli and just freeze. And that's, that's not a far cry from, from, you know, humanity. And, you know, when you have a reason to, to actually get your head around some of this stuff, you know, it's, it's, there's some things that we'll, we don't learn until it becomes personal when we, we rise to the exactly and, spot on, spot on. And, and societally we're moving towards this. So like it or not, you know, the people that, you know, cover their ears and this is too much. And I get it, you know, kind of, I kind of get that it's too much uh, <laughs> that, that, you you will be forced to deal with some of these issues whether you like them or not that they'll be part of your life experience and hopefully the the, you know the veil of secrecy gets torn back on some of the stuff because we'll we'll get to see how how horrible this is when it it doesn't work the way it's supposed to and um, i'm i'm would think you've discussed CRISPR technology and other things you know uh throughout your podcast or at some point um you know, we're, we're at the point now where you can rewrite your DNA and it's, we, we don't know, this is a Pandora's box. I mean, there might be a few good things out of it, but man, there is, <laughs> there's probably already quite a body count. I know there's, there's, you know, there've been some instances of people playing with their DNA and, and it does not go well. And so this is where this will get broader into the human, you know, discussion uh, sooner rather than later. And, Somebody, you know, and I think the, the role of, you know, the role that you're taking and the role I'm taking and other guys who have ventured into this stuff and may not necessarily be considered a great career move, but, but, you know, we're, we're, we're motivated by the, the bottom line truth of it. You know, this is, this is biblical truth and this is part of the good versus evil dynamic that has to be understood. And so when someone has to get their head around this for the first time, they need somebody in their life that they can go to or listen to or, or punch in a podcast or read a book and say, Hey, God's not taken by surprise with any of this. This has already happened before. And there is a way to navigate out of it. And, uh, that to me is encouraging. Um, and I think yeah. there's also a, yeah, there's also a, a hell no kind of attitude that we need to get into the church about, you know, we've walked, we've worshipped at what I call the altar of tolerance, you know, for for a decade or more, and we're not well served by that. And you know, people getting when you need to know the truth and you get desperate to know the truth, then you want the truth. And so, I think world events are going to be forcing people to wrap their heads around this because. It's not going away, but fortunately, there's people that we've already gone through the pain of wrapping our heads around this topic because it is it is weird and and painful and overwhelming at times, um, and you know, not broadly discussed. So, uh, but fortunately, you know, we we need to be we need to be up to speed because more and more people are getting their heads around this and understanding that this technology and even how it's employed by our governments 
and, and lots of different implications to it. People will be waking up, hopefully, hopefully sooner rather than later, but they'll be forced to, uh, you know, be it something the government wants to impose or their own health issues or their own temptations uh, from what this technology can do. They're going to have to start exploring it, whether they like it or not. And there's something comforting in being a sheep personally, <laughs> because in my weakness, his powers made best known. And as being a sheep, we hear our shepherd's voice. Right. We don't follow another. So this is encouraging. I mean, vulnerability is a, is a weapon that, that can be used. And this process, um, just all these years of, of putting, you know, the time and energy and researching and praying and just beating the floor and crying out and trying to make sense of stuff. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. I wouldn't trade it. So Paul, we're going to start to wind down a little bit, sure. but I want to ask a last question and then I want you to plug in where people can find you. Um, yeah. What um, would uh, be your, what would be your message to the millennial generation today that, Let's just say if this is the last time you got on air to speak with the millennial generation, what do you think is the most imperative thing that they need to know right now? Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I would say, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. The Bible teaches us that, you know, that we might think what we're experiencing is new or, you know, uniquely horrible or, you know, uniquely good, you know, for that matter. Um, there's nothing new under the sun. This is you know, there, there are challenges that are, that are coming, that are here, that previous generations did not really have to think about. Um, as Christians, we need to be grounded in a biblical worldview and, and able to take on these topics and have conversations about them because, you know, it, it was not, something that a pastor needed in his arsenal 40 years ago, discussing the ethics of, you know, bioengineering, you know, like this, that was not, not needed. Well, from here on out, it is needed. There, there's no choice. This is coming. And who gets to be in charge of those decisions? Who gets to be, who, who gets to say how you will be changed or how you will be reprogrammed or how you will, you know, what, what's the acceptable use of these, you know, technologies and, you know, the Bible says we're made in God's image where we have the ability to choose. We have the ability to navigate our life for ourselves, both good and bad. Um, but there will be people that want to impose these things on you, either by force or by persuasion. And you need to understand, you know, there is a point where God said, you, you don't play God. There's a point where there's a point of no return. The judgment is coming. You know, this type of behavior is not tolerated. And so it's happened before. It's going to happen again. We're at a point where we need to think about things previous generations were not forced to think about, but we need to have those things in our tool chest. We need to have thought them through, prayed them through. And that's imperative because we have our kids to think about. We have the future to think about. Um, we're all longing for Jesus's return, but we're notoriously bad at predicting when it's going to happen. And so we need to take a long perspective and prepare ourselves for issues that weren't important before, but are going to be important moving forward. And 
these things have happened before. They're happening now. We can wish the world wasn't evil and systematized and corrupt in the way that it is. Uh, but maybe it's on us now to decide, you know, what, what world we're going to fight for. Is it a world that reflects some kingdom values and biblical, you know, values and truths? Uh, or are we going to let the world dictate how things are going to go? Well, I, I know I want to go down swinging. I hope you do too. <laughs> you know, like we're not going to just see the ground to these uh, people who want types of technologies uh, to do horrible things. And, you know, maybe some of them are well-intended and just deceived, but uh, I think there's also some of them that they know this is a incredible means of control that they could, that they could enforce, uh, use and enforce. And, you know, it's for freedom. We've been set free. This is not, God wants people to be so free. They cannot choose them, which is a you know crazy concept. Uh, but our world always, you know, the world players, the world powers, always seem to be pushing for more and more control. And that, that just, that echoes, that reflects who their father is, who, you know, what worldview they're actually operating from. Um, and as Christians, we need to be different and, and ready to, to defend, you know, those lines in the sands that are like, no, you know, some things are worth dying for. Some things are worth being inconvenienced and sacrificing for, uh, and, and freedom and who gets to define family and who gets to, you know, make those decisions are, are critical. So, you know, be strong. Every generation's faced, you know, some horrible things. You know, it's our turn to be strong and to stand firm. So that's what I would say. <laughs> it's, it's a profound, like, what's the last thing to say to this group of people? Powerful. You know, uh, yeah, I mean, go down swinging, you know, <laughs> some, uh, I, I don't have a strict, yeah eschatological view. I've got friends on both sides of, you know, historists or futurists or, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, to me, this days and other thing is the most interesting end times thing because it's, it's pretty clear and it kind of doesn't matter, you know, what camp you're in, whether you're, you know, preacher or post-trib, millennial, whatever. Um, we're in the days of Noah, hands down. No other generation had had the ability to play God, we're doing it. And that's something unique, you know? Wow. So, uh, the early church perked up on this days of Noah stuff, you know, they, they, they knew the implications of this stuff, which, which you know, again, Michael Heiser. So, you know, so helped the church understand the worldview of the early, you know, of the early church and that, that these issues were important to them and we've gone full circle. They're, they're going to be important for us. Well, Paul, I want you to plug in where people can find you. Um, they, there will be details in the show notes, but give us a verbal affirmation. Where can people find your work, uh, your book, and any social links that you want to sure, plug in as well? Sure, um, I am, uh, again, Paul Fowler. I'm uh, Thrones of the Watchers is the series, and uh, the first title is called Enmity, and it's available on Amazon, and uh, it's in Kindle format or in paperback. And, um, so you can find that there. I am also, uh, thrones of the watchers, uh, dot net, I believe is, let me look it up real quick. Yeah. I'm at thrones of the Sorry. I had that wrong. It is, it is.com. Okay. So I'd be absolutely sure. Um, also on Amazon, you can, you can find, um, there's an author section that gives a little bit of, of details, but I'm, I'm on Facebook under thrones of the watchers. And then, um, Amazon is the place. I know people have mixed 
mixed feelings about Amazon, but uh, <laughs> for authors, that's sort of where you you got to have your book. So I enjoyed this conversation with you, man. Uh, I'm excited to have you back in the future. We laid a foundation today, you know, about where your heart's at, what you're doing. I think that. I, Listen, I've gotten a few emails just in the last couple of days of pastors around the country reaching out that are newer to the the fringy space here on the podcast. And I'm getting like, praise God, thank you so much. Like I've been tug of warring with this stuff for so long. And how do I present it to the congregation? Like it is like I am a nobody. I'm like, God, why am I in this position where I'm like talking with like 20 different pastors and like all this crazy stuff? So a guy like you, Paul, a man of God like you comes along and you just lay everything out in a way that the younger me would have been like, I can digest this easier, let's just say. Journey is important, process is important, but I'm talking about the frustration of not having a safe place. So I think all of this is working together just the way that it should. I'm a big believer in the freedom of the spirit and timing. And with this one right here, I'm going to ask you guys as the audience to share this episode with your friends, your family member, your coworker, and share it with your pastor. Yeah, that's right. Share it with him too. Coming to you from Southeastern Pennsylvania. God bless and goodbye.